welcome to Deep Impact, a proud member of the Doof Network, where we dive deep into Arbo's most reflective work five years on. Coming up next is Elliot Diebold. And that was Ruben Morehouse. And we are back to talk to you about Malfeasance 11.2. But before then, it's a friendly reminder that the fan art competition is going on. So if you want to get in your reflection-themed uh, pieces of packed fan art, or worm fan art, or parahumans fan art, but probably packed fan art. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You can check out uh, doofmedia.com for more info. Uh, yeah, so I, I think I think uh, submissions close towards the end of the month. There's a link in the show notes. It has all those details. We went through this last episode. <laughs> um, yes. Now, on to the chapter. And that chapter is about Blake standing in the mirror. Um, he's not screaming anymore, so that's good. Uh, but mm-hmm. he's just kind of looking over these uh, reflections of trinkets that he's a comp- uh, a kind of accumulated and he's trying to figure out how he can macgyver them into an escape route yeah and like we get some clarification on exactly what went down at the end of last chapter um Mm. so i guess that means i probably wasn't the only one who was a little confused by it uh so it seems like him him being in the mirror disrupts new things from manifest manifesting in the reflections Mm. and he can sort of shift his focus or kind of relax his presence to you know turn that turn that effect off basically yeah it seems like he has this aura of fucks with reflections and he can kind of let it go a bit to turn it down at least yeah exactly and and without actually leaving the mirror um and i mean i love this symbolically because it's it's you know blake letting go to sort of let let new things in it it sort of ties into i think what we're going to talk about a fair bit this this chapter which is blake you know finally accepting those changes he started to go through down Mm. in the drains yes uh for better or for worse i guess oh yeah yeah so this is such a fun little chapter right it's like such a classic little puzzle where we basically have all the information that we need to know how blake is going to escape and he just kind of puts it together as we put it together and we just come along for the ride with this puzzle it's it's just very fun and very like rewarding to to observe yeah it's a fun little bottle episode type type thing where he has all these pieces from the start and and we we engage in other things but it's just kind of a slow blake putting these pieces together slash taking them out um (laughs) to uh you know to sort of solve the puzzle yeah um so blake's kind of looking over the books that he has access to and reading through these uh these books um when tiffany comes in to chit chat yeah so before that let's quickly talk about the books because mm. um i mean the first one has some neat little latin easter egg phrases that are kind of fun um and the second one gets a bit more time because i think it's a little bit more interesting it you know it's basically like a how to summon a rage monster because you're angry uh the book <laughs> um, yes and, and, you know, it talks about the general rules for, for Boogeyman, which is interesting because, like, you know, even though they're all sort of unique, there are some general trends and patterns, um, which is a bit of a theme for most things in Pact. Like, that even applies to goblins, like we've seen with the hyena, how diverse goblins can be with stuff like this. Mm. Um, but, like, you know, it, it's something we talked about on the Discord as well is, like, uh, it's unclear to me whether all boogeyman like does boogeyman specifically refer to things that have come from the abyss or is it more of a catch-all term for this type of thing and they don't necessarily have to have been through what blake went through like i mean because corviday corviday doesn't seem to be a, a, a boogeyman like from I, I think i think that they talked about the the theory that he was created by the indigenous canadians mm. 
Yeah. So that that would imply to me that he's he's more manufactured, but he still is similar enough to Boogeyman that he fits the qualification. I don't know. Yeah, Boogeyman kind of does feel like a just a catch all for humanoid spooky things. <laughs> Maybe <laughs> like, hum- like human humans who like things that were once human that are now other monsters. Yeah. I don't know. Or or things that are like partially or mostly human, like it, yeah, maybe maybe it's even like 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 semi-human uh, type type things. Yeah. Yes, uh, and again, this just means that we we really would love a story that dives more into the taxonomy of others, which <laughs> is a fruitless pursuit, but one that yes. I think would be fun all the same. <laughs> it would be fun to follow the adventures of someone who's convinced that there is a set of rules. He just yeah. needs to find it. It's and, it's uh, kind of the Harry the, Potter the fr- and the Methods of Rationality of the Pact Universe, right? That that version of Harry Potter in the Pact Universe trying to categorize all these others. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Um, and so the other thing that sort of happens here is um, Blake sort of notes that both of these books that he's got make extensive references to other books by the same author. Yeah. Um, or authors. And, and that basically it, it seems designed so that um, practitioners are required to buy the entire set of the author's works. Um, I mean, I can't help but think that maybe there's some ego stuff in there as well. Like, it's not just like a money-making scheme, but it's yeah. all like, and it's not even just a withholding information arbitrarily scheme. It's also a, a you need to experience my other fantastic works uh, yeah. type scheme. It's like, uh, no, I can't just summarize that because it would be too reductive of all my life's work. You have to go yeah. check it out. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I have a feeling it's it's a combination of all three of those things. Yeah. Um, but it really, it reinvigorates that contrast that we made two chapters ago with uh, with the Witch Hunters Network and how they were just openly sharing information. Yeah. Um, like, I don't think it's a coincidence we're sort of getting reminded of how blocked off information sharing between practitioners is so soon after seeing that. I honestly just think a lot of it comes down to pride and ego, right? Like, it seems that to be a practitioner, you have to have a a pretty inflated ego, um, (laughs) especially to be a practitioner author, which, I don't know. I I, I mean, maybe it's true of any author, I don't know, but it seems especially (laughs) true of of practitioner authors. Um, Yeah, I don't know. As I said, I think it's all of the above. I think it's pride and ego. I think it is sort of... Uh, trying to inflate the value of their knowledge by bundling it all together like, yeah. yeah i think i think it's it's both yeah yeah um but anyway so, back to tiffany yeah back to the conversation with tiffany and, the, and this conversation it's kind of a bummer right i mean blake is he kind of <laughs> lets a bit of his anger out at his general situation on tiffany and then <laughs> feels like he has to keep it in check which I don't know. I mean, I don't know if you should feel guilty for kind of being asked to be let out of prison, which seems like a reasonable request, Blake, but he does feel guilty about it and he does kind of keep it in check, as it were, which is interesting. Uh, Yeah, well, I mean, uh, for for him, it's sort of like he doesn't want to put pressure on Tiffany and he knows she thinks she's not in a position to help him. So really him begging and pleading or, or getting angry at her is really just making things worse yeah and it's, but you it's know a, it's it, a real testament well i just want to say it's like a real testament to how good a person he is that he's willing to shelve his own very reasonable anger at this situation to kind of put her first like yeah. it's really putting his money where his mouth is in terms yeah. of how he keeps talking about how he wants to sacrifice himself for these friends like this yeah. is him genuinely doing that yes and it's good to see him actually do that because we've we haven't seen him do it 
that much. I mean, we've kind of seen him do some pretty stupid things, but I don't think they came across as, like, smart self-sacrifice or, like, thinking instead of just acting, right? Whereas this is where he in- intentionally overrides his instincts, which is something we, we I don't think we've seen him do ever. Yeah, and I mean, people can have a tendency to want to help others in their way. Like, Blake is... Blake has fallen into the trap, I would say, of trying to help them by doing something they might not necessarily want, but he want he thinks yeah. they need. Yeah. Um. Like that was sort of the general vibe of, of Last Ark, really. Uh, whereas this is him sort of listening to what she's saying that she wants or needs and, and doing it. Yeah. Yeah. Which is a good move, Blake. So good stuff. Uh, yeah. Uh, another little thing I wanted to pull out before we get deeper into this conversation between them is um, Blake quite a number of times this chapter just sort of straight up acknowledges symbolic connections between things like he's yeah. kind of doing our job for us a lot uh he's, he's encroaching on our territory um like you know when he notes he didn't get every card in the deck um that ty had he notes that he isn't playing with a full deck and uh <laughs> you know when tiffany starts talking about her her situation he's like oh so you fell through the cracks without connections like he's uh he, he's drawing lines between all this stuff and yeah I'm going to be optimistic and and hope that this is sort of showing us even more how Blake is getting a feel for this world. Like he's he's making these connections and 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 you know that's really what the the systems impact are all built around is is noticing symbolic connections. Yeah, it's interesting to think about. Is it like because obviously the reverse is kind of happening with Rose as well, right? Where she has to be, at least from what we've seen of her, she's playing the role that Blake was playing before, where she's like acting all the time and making some decisions on the fly. Whereas Blake mm. is now able to kind of sit back and be analytical. I wonder how much it's their their positions having changed as a as a format of of the kind of packed world and and the systems in it, or whether it's just Rose is now under pressure all the time and Blake is the one who's actually just got time to chill in a mirror and can make these connections. Uh, I do like I do like how those two things fit together. Yeah. But based on how Arc 10 went down, I can't help but think it's just a byproduct of Blake's current situation of being trapped. Um, you know, the second we see he isn't trapped at the end of the chapter, he's fucking diving off after the Bahames. <laughs> yeah, so that's I think, true. Um, I think it is just sort of a byproduct of where he is right now. But in saying that, you know, Rose was always a little bit trapped in the mirrors. It seems like the rules for her were maybe a little bit different. So yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, I don't know. I mean, maybe they were, maybe they weren't. Blake seems to think that she just kind of. Well, actually, Blake has suggested both things. Blake has suggested, oh, she just didn't actually figure it out, and that no, I'm. This is my world. I'm like accustomed to it. Could be either, yeah, I mean, I th- there's a lot of mystery there, uh, compounded by the fact that Rose was full of shit the whole time. So, um, <laughs> yes. yeah, we, we may never know. Yeah. Um, so Tiffany and Blake keep talking, uh, and Tiffany kind of eventually gets a little bit fed up with Blake uh, taking digs at Rose, uh, and basically <laughs> says, you, you can't keep doing that, or I'll have to leave. Um, and Blake does it, true to his word. Yeah. Um, so let's talk about Rose for a bit, because, uh, I mean, Blake hates on rose at various points in this mm. chapter as you just sort of mentioned um yeah i mean i i have to and i do think that she's <laughs> done a bunch of asshole moves but uh the bits where blake starts talking about how rose has like taken what was meant to be a good thing and putting them in danger and, and she's manipulating what he built and twisting it and it's like does he not remember toronto <laughs> at all be- does he not remember the drains when he had like a whole vision built around 
the fact that he came to the realization that he had sort of become a bit of an abuser. Yes, it felt like uh, a weighty realization at the time, but he does seem to have um, compartmentalized it a bit here. Yeah, because he, um, yeah, I mean, just like we saw, in, like he he sort of talks about how bad it was of Rose to, uh, you know, sort of use them as bait for the town, like like when she when back in Arc Nine when he had the vision where everyone was like, we could come after your circle. Mm. And Rose was like, you know, try and do it. And, and, <laughs> come and at Tiff's, me. Yeah, and Tiff's sort of like, you know, oh, we that was all sort of part of our plan, and, and we okayed it. And Blake, yeah. Blake's sort of thinking, oh, she pressured you into it, blah blah blah. And it's like again, when he was building his rules with Conquest, he basically put Alexis and Ty on the chopping block under the assumption Conquest wouldn't take them, and he was right. Yeah. And so it was Rose. So like, yeah. what's the difference? I mean, Wait, the, really, the charitable read is that now that Blake has realised the errors of his ways, he's more harsh on Rose for falling into the same trap. But I don't know if that's a, a fair a fair play by Blake here. If that's where he is, then I think he should be coming at this more from a I fucked up and it's still going and I want to fix it, which doesn't yeah. he doesn't say that. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I mean, uh, to tie this back to a little bit to what it, in 10.x, I talked a bit about how Andy and, and Eva contrasted with Blake and Rose and yeah. and how they compared. And I, I think I, I'm realizing now, I think I took the wrong thing away from 10.x and that comparison specifically, which was, I, I was talking about how much these these combinations of personality attributes and stuff show how, how different stuff they are. But I think really what it's showing is that these people aren't as different as they think. I think mm. Andy isn't as different to Eva as he makes out. Like, that was something, you know, the ending of 10.x kind of hits home a bit. Like, he's he finds some release in just the idea that he can just blow them all the fuck up. And, you know, he, he liked killing that practitioner with a hunting rifle. Like, I think, I think Andy and Ava and Blake and Rose aren't as different as they all like to... Uh, convince themselves yeah yeah i i I definitely agree with that um yeah uh so look i i do think i i think we can be uh harsh on blake for a few things here but the one thing that he does do quite well is he really is sticking to his end of the bargain with not i guess pressuring tiff he he doesn't he he kind of blows up at her a little bit right um but it's understandable given the situation he's in and then from then on he basically plays this conversation as cool as a cucumber. Yeah, and, and like, I, I think Tiffany is very reasonable on the other side of it. She kind of calls him out. She's like, hey, settle down. And he's like... <laughs> cool, you and, and he's like, yep, good point. Yeah. Uh, and he does. And then she's also like, yeah, I get it. You've been through a lot. Like, there's a lot of reasonable... There's a lot of reasonable actions on both ends of this. Yeah, yeah. Um, so they keep talking, and uh, Blake kind of fills in the uh, memory blanks for Tiffany, uh, filling in the memories of how they know each other, how they almost had a threesome with Alexis, how they went on a few dates, normal stuff like that. Yeah, um, you know, normal friend things. Yeah. Um, I, I, I mean, yeah, there was there was definitely part of me that he because he mentions the date. She's like, oh, a, a date, and I was sort of like, oh yeah, this is like a good way to rebuild rapport and and yeah. tell her about you know, how you two were kind of close. And then he just sort of jumped straight into the three-way. And I was like, oh, okay, he's not pulling any punches. He's <laughs> he's going all in. No, but it, it does seem to work, right? Like, Tiffany kind of puts together, oh, yeah, that is exactly the kind of thing that Alexis would do and that fills in a gap for me. Oh, um, it, yeah, I mean, she she sort of implies that she does have memories of Alexis hinting at, at stuff like that. Um, so, like, she can believe that that was on the cards. And, I mean, obviously... Something we sort of need to talk about here is like Blake has that moment where uh, he thinks that she's like 
looking at how monstrous it, he is. Yep. Uh, but it turns out that she she still wants the bee. Yeah. Um, uh, this this conversation goes from awkward to awkward uh, very quickly. <laughs> um, it's interesting because we. Like, I mean, we'll say it again. The theme of last arc and this arc has been how human is Blake really, right? Um, yeah. And, I mean, human enough to count for Tiffany here, at least. I mean, we did just spend a while talking about a story about a human and goblin romance. So, I mean, nothing's off the cards in, in this world, really. But, uh, yeah. I, I mean, I'm going to choose to take it as a good sign that, like, he's still human enough that, that Tiffany is, is still sort of connecting with him in that same way. Yeah, I, I think it's interesting that whenever these kind of topics came up before for Blake, his thought process was always along the lines of, yeah, maybe that would be nice, but I'm not going to do it because of my hang-ups. Um, yep. And that doesn't come up here, uh, which is interesting because now he knows that that's what programmed. Um, it, it, maybe he's able to get himself around it mentally. Like maybe these things are back on the cards for him. It's kind of hard to tell. Um, yeah, I mean, you're right. He just doesn't think about it at all. It's, it's hard to say either way, really. Mm. Um, um, he just sort of notices how awkward he's made things because he accidentally <laughs> was, like, teasing her about checking him out, which he didn't even realize that's what she was doing. Yep. Uh, solid play, Blake. Solid play. Um, so what he does next is he, he, he has this little chain of, of uh, train of thoughts where he... He thinks about how, look, I pulled out a quote, but basically to sum it up, he thinks about how his only driving factor now is to protect his friends, maybe still including Rose. It's a little hard to tell. Um, <laughs> again. Again. And <laughs> and he, see, he he explicitly says, without the Blake part, without the motorcycle, which could be read as saying, now I have to do it without fully being me. But it kind of feels like he's saying... I'm just going to protect them and it doesn't really matter if I get to have my happy ending at the end, right? Um, which, I don't know. Like, has he completely given up on his on his happy ending? I mean, with the drains hanging over him as they are, I can see why you would. Mm. Um, I, I Yeah, I sort of read it slightly differently. Um, it's not mutually exclusive at all, but it, for me, this was really part of him accepting that his or all of his humanity is a bit of a write-off like like yeah he, he isn't human uh that's not him but he's still Blake Thorburn or, or, or like he's still the same personality I guess like he obviously separates himself from the name so it's like he doesn't need to be human to still want to protect his friends mm. um it's a bit more of an optimistic read I guess but it, it, like I, I'm sort of thinking it could be viewed as him starting to accept that I'm not human, I'm not all Blake Thorburn, but I'm still someone who can help these people. Yeah, I I, I agree that that's a valid read. I, I just, the fact that he is so willing to jump on the, I'm not human anymore, so what does it really matter for me train makes <laughs> is a little bit concerning. Yeah, yeah, uh, for sure. Mm. I mean, like, he's always been self-sacrificing, but it does feel like it has been a means to an end rather than... And and it is still, but the end now is for them and not for him. I don't know. It... Yeah. No, you're right. That That is an important distinction. Mm. Um. So eventually Tiffany and Blake stop talking because Blake kind of feels like he won't be able to stop bad-mouthing Rose for that long. <laughs> um, so she leaves uh, and uh, Blake is left by himself again. Yeah. And, and and again, I think this is something he, he was enjoying the conversation, but he sort, of, he sort of has to be like, no, like I can't, I'm going to, 
I'm going to put pressure on you if if we keep doing this. Like yep. I, I think we just need to stop. Um, I think that's the good thing to do as well as the smart thing because you know I think putting too much pressure on Tiffany uh, at the moment will probably cause her to just you know to withdraw, walk away. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so yeah, I mean, as I said, I think it's it's a good sign and yeah. also a smart one. Yeah. Um, I agree. Good work, Blake. Sticking to your word. Top marks for that. Um, next, Blake grabs a book and just starts smashing his ribs. Uh, and I put you put the you put the line here about I didn't really include the context of this, but this is all the context that the book gives you when you first read it, right? <laughs> like you read Blake, he picks up a book and he just starts smashing it himself with it, and you're like, "What the fuck are you doing?" Um, yeah, well, I mean, he talks about the hole in his side and then just starts smashing near it. So you get the impression he's trying to increase the size of that hole, but it's definitely, you don't fully understand why. And you're sort of like, what? Come on, Blake. Like, it's yeah. the most Blake thing ever. It's like, I'm just going to smash myself open, see what's in there. Yes. Uh, it's, it's so, it, it's so great. It's so Blake. It's so crazy. It's, yeah. it's a lot of fun. The line I like, another example of, uh, of this finding connections thing is, uh, Blake thinks Tiff had talked about finding the buried strength within. Here we were, as he's kind of rummaging around <laughs> inside his body. Um, yeah, it's a wild plan. It, not only does he start smashing his ribs, they start to heal because the spirits are infesting him. And he's like, oh, oh no, 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 worry. no. He has a plan for <laughs> yeah, that. He gets the hyena and starts like chipping away at himself to use the hyena's anti-heal energy to fuck him over more permanently. So, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a real mad lad play, but it does give him a, a pretty cool power where he can kind of reach in and pull out spirits and throw them at people and stuff um yeah but i mean you can't help but wonder uh the long-term consequences of such a play um the reaction that i had to it is is well that shouldn't be allowed well that shouldn't work (laughs) and and presumably if i'm thinking that the spirits are thinking that too which can only mean this is going to cause some bad shit for blake yeah, I mean, Blake does sort of start to think about how, you know, does is this sort of the way others work? Like, this might be... It's certainly not allowed for humans. Um, I don't even know if humans would be capable of, of doing this because they're not made out of, like, tree. Yeah. But uh, it, it may be more allowed for uh boogeyman like blake we're not we're not sure um and there may be a more direct way to do it that doesn't involve uh mutilating yourself yes um but it's interesting because you know all of last dark something that defined the arc was that like being infested with these spirits was like pretty bad that was meant to be a very not good thing yeah and uh you know if you start chewing through the nice cooperative spirits you've already got in you uh like this i is that gonna stop the spirits from even bothering to show you up is it gonna uh like invite nastier spirits into the holes that you're making like it's a there's a lot of potential huge risks to to doing something like this uh yeah i mean i suppose him and lefty if he's got someone like lefty vouching for him they could run some sort of pyramid scheme (laughs) uh like he's turned himself into a sort of domain type situation it's hard to really know what the implications of this are beyond the fact that it just feels unnatural in a world where mm. Blake is already pretty far down the unnatural scale. Yeah, like like we talked a bit about uh, Malafide, uh, you know, sort of being about changing the rules with, with what Jeremy mm. did and stuff. This yep. felt like that to me. Like this was a huge moment where Blake is just reaching and tapping into the spirits that are within him and using them. Yeah, and, it's a cool I mean, move, so, isn't it? it? It's it's so cool, and it's so cool in story as well because he's accepting this new part 
of himself and, and using it. And, and that ties in so much to what we've been talking about since he got out of the drains. Yeah. Which yeah. is he needs to uh, find where he's at right now. And apparently that is being able to use the spirits that are in him. Like it's a physical manifestation of uh, kind of accepting and working with and using the change that he's undergone. So, yeah. I mean, hopefully if that's the right read, then it might not be terrible. Maybe... I mean, I, I do quite like the idea of him and Lefty being able to turn himself into a domain by attracting the right kinds of spirits to work within him. Mm. But uh, yeah. we'll see. Yeah, I mean, we'll that, see. that seems too good to be true. <laughs> that's, that's the only reason yes. I don't like that. Yeah. Um, so Blake uh, uses his new side hole to pull out Lefty um, and gets Lefty to pop out of the mirror and... Uh, turn it around um unfortunately lefty interprets this slightly incorrectly and the mirror kind of <laughs> spins meaning that blake gets shunted around a little bit weirdly but it, it all kind of works out in the end he he's able to reach some other books which seem to have been key to his plan and he also sees the guard pirate boogeyman thing yeah um so first of all i love the little irony that lefty didn't quite appreciate the exact spirit of what blake was saying considering the role <laughs> that spirits play in analyzing the spirit of of a message well blake um, said push the mirror and lefty pushed the mirror you know <laughs> yeah, exactly. it seems right to me um yeah but you think you think spirits would be able to appreciate the nuance of meaning given that's you know their <laughs> other job in the world yeah. of practitioners um Maybe maybe Lefty just thought this was better than what Blake actually wanted. Mm. Um, but yeah, you're right. And then obviously there's this kind of, uh, I don't know, really downtrodden, drains-based Jack Sparrow on the yeah. other side of the mirror. Basically a pirate who seems to have gone through some rough shit, right? He's got a hook hand. He's got scars from octopus suckers. Um, he doesn't have a peg leg or a parrot on his shoulder, which is just disappointing, especially because having a parrot on his shoulder would be basically a complete reflection of Blake, which would be hilarious. <laughs> um, but yeah, he, he just it seems like the kind of guy who has a fun backstory. Yeah, it's one of those things um, in, in fact, and like all good stories do this where you leave a little bit of mystery, like you don't explain everything. Like, yeah. I, I don't think we're going to get this guy's backstory, which is a shame because he's Next already interlude coming e up. extremely fascinating. <laughs> yeah. Um, so this guard pirate guy kind of comes towards Blake, but Blake throws some word traps at him, which confuse him a bit. So much so that all he really can think of to do is scream. So the guard pirate screams and uh, Rose comes running to break the fun up again. So, I mean, I love this solution by uh, Pirate Man to just start screaming because it kind of echoes Blake last yeah. chapter. And there's this uh, point where Blake crawls backwards, which it puts him away from the pirate in the reflection, but puts him closer to where the pirate would actually be in the real world in yeah. the reflection. And it's kind of like, it's interesting to think about them being reflections of each other. I quite like it. Uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and the, the screaming sells that. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, obviously Rose comes in and, um, you know, I mean, things are tense, so she gets a bit of a pass, but she's also still a bit of a delightful asshole. I, I quite enjoy, like, the bit where she just flips the mirror to put black, uh, put Blake back. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's, it's, uh, it's pretty fun. Yeah. Um, I love how confused she is here because she's like, how the fuck did you turn this mirror around? <laughs> like, it's really getting under her skin that he's somehow pulled a trick on her that she can't figure out. It's very funny. Um, yeah. And, and the other interesting thing is, so obviously we'll get to in a second, Blake breaks out, but yeah. Rose was going seemingly to get him a mirror that mm. would that she was going to bring him with. So, like, this kind of worked already in a way. Um, I mean, I still think Blake made the right call uh, 
trying to escape and not just being like you know tagged along by rose but Mm. um it it's saying something that she was like okay like at the very least she was thinking you're gonna be less trouble if i at least just bring you with me to let you try and help um so it's interesting that he sort of manages to break out and and kind of go against her on that when she was finally willing to give a little yeah yeah, it's interesting. I, I guess he's just kind of, any solution that isn't get me out of this thing right now so I can help is just not good enough for him to stop doing shit, right? No, exactly. Like, as I said, like, I don't think going and being trapped in a more portable mirror is necessarily a great outcome, but yeah. uh, it is interesting that to some extent this got Rose to meet him, not quite halfway, but a little bit closer to halfway. <laughs> yeah. Um Rose goes out again to deal with the assault on the house, giving some stricter instructions to the pirate guy. Um, and Blake kind of looks over this book that he got, which I, I don't know what, like, it's hard to tell how much of this was his plan um, from the get go or how much he just kind of puts it together with this book. Uh, yeah, I'm a little bit confused exactly how the book helped him because he just sort of seemed to read the blurb and I guess it confirmed what he was already suspecting. Yeah, it, uh, maybe it, he was checking, hey, does this disconfirm it? Because there was a line where he was like, oh, maybe I can rip up some pages and put together a paper body for the bird spirits, which is a bonkers thing to think. <laughs> but it, it kind of indicates that he had a few plans bubbling and he just wanted to see the book and see if this would work and then maybe he'd try some other shit if it didn't. Yeah, because there's certainly nothing I noticed in the narration to suggest it gave him a hint as to any particular techniques, which, and I don't think it could anyway, because they'd probably be practitioner focused and he has to, I mean, one of the things that this whole spirit dumping into cards thing, like he just sort of literally pushes them in, which is um, (laughs) such a fun visual, like it's so... So, like, barbaric doesn't quite seem like the word I want, but, it, you know, just the way he's just kind of smushing them in, it's yeah. it's so simple and, um, like, crude. Yeah, it's weird, isn't it? He's just, yeah, um, he just smushes them into the deck. Yeah, and so obviously that's, like, part of the reason he's having to do stuff like that is because he doesn't have access to uh, the rules for practitioners. Yeah. Uh, so I, I don't know exactly how the book really did help him, but uh, except to just confirm that this could work. Yeah. And it does. Um, he connects the cards that he has to their real-world version, knocking over his cards, knocks over those cards, and those cards spill out over the circle, which allow him to escape. It's a it's a great plan, it's a clever plan, and it works. Mm-hmm. Yep, he's working with the spirits to be able to manipulate the outside world. It's, it's a pretty powerful new ability. Yeah. Um, interestingly, as, uh, as Blake is putting this in action, the, the guard pirate kind of notices he's up to something and starts chucking stuff at his mirror, which- And screaming. And screaming, of course, which, um, which kind of interrupts Blake and, and starts his, um, his mirror domain kind of shrinking as, as it, as the mirror breaks. Um, and Blake kind of knows- Oh, if if I don't get out right now, I'm going back to the abyss. And he's super chill about it. He doesn't he doesn't really freak out at all, which is interesting. Yeah, I mean something we've talked about a bunch throughout this whole podcast, and something the book has sort of been uh, very directly addressing uh, in the last few chapters is how in sync with this world Blake is. Yeah, and I think this is kind of another example of that. Like he he's always a little bit more confident than I would be diving into this sort of stuff. And it's because a lot of the time his intuition on these sorts of things is like pretty spot on really. Yeah. Uh, you know, his trust, his gut approach has mixed success, but it probably has better than most people's would. Um, so yeah, I mean, as I'm saying that, I, I, I'm sort of thinking 
if we go with the idea that you know Blake and Rose are split um, from from one person or, or yep. you know two people were merged and rearranged, uh, and and Blake seems to have gotten a whole chunk of the intuition for this world points. Um, so assuming Granny Rose's plan was still to break the wheel, mm-hmm. it's interesting that the sacrificial lamb would be the one who gets the intuition for the world. Like I guess. You know, maybe she wants Rose to think differently to help enact a new plan, or, you know, I don't know. Maybe, maybe there's some more to it. Like, I guess, uh, you know, it still feels like we're waiting for another shoe to drop with this whole uh, airs business. Yeah. Um, and, and I wonder if maybe this is something that will make sense in retrospect. Mm. We'll see, I suppose. Um, yeah, so Blake's out. He heads downstairs. He basically <laughs> taunts Rose a bit, like, check it out, I got out. Um, but then, you know, it's like, all right, let's do it. What are we dealing with? Behames, let's fuck, let's fuck him up. Uh, favorite pastime, fucking with Behames. Um, <laughs> and the chapter ends with Evan and Blake kind of flying off to, to fight Behames together. So I'm not going to lie, Rose's frustration at him getting out was, was a little bit fun. Yeah. Uh, because i mean because we're in his head and we know that he is here to help so it's kind of just nice to see her get punished for not believing him she calls Um, him a motherfucker which i like (laughs) yeah well you can imagine how frustrating it would be from her perspective yeah um and and then yeah like i I really like how exciting this ending is because we've we've just had two chapters that i don't think slow is the right kind of word but they're very introspective there was a lot of like calm conversations very reflective very self-reflective yeah (laughs) yes um like blake was very trapped inside the the mirrors for all of them uh and and so like you know there were there were bits of action and excitement but it was a more slow type of excitement whereas you know now we're very clearly about to dive straight back into some like hectic bonkers action yeah uh and more uh, i'm excited (laughs) behavior fights are the best part of the book (laughs) <laughs> uh yeah so like yeah i mean you know we sort of just had two chapters that took a sort of calmer approach to this stuff and i'm keen to get back into some uh some crazy shenanigans yeah um unfortunately that will have to wait for malfeasance 11.3 but before we go uh i wanted to do another monster corner here and this is probably the the least plot related monster corner that we've done yet <laughs> uh, because we saw we saw a, a pirate revenant this chapter and so i thought it'd be fun to dive into the history of uh ghost pirates zombie pirates etc and uh see where that came from so i don't think it's going to be very plot relevant but it will be informative so uh that's something right yeah that's good enough for me um so the first recorded instance of ghost pirates that I could find is from uh, The Rime of the Ancient Mariner, which is 1798, uh, yep. uh, Coleridge, ep- big, long poem thing. Um, basically, the plot of it is that uh, a sailor has a really bad voyage after he kills an albatross, and he's cursed to basically have a shit voyage and then spread the message of how shit his life was after he killed this animal, because animals are good and you shouldn't kill them, is basically the plot of, of this poem. Um, and one mm-hmm. one part of this horrible journey that he has is his ship and his crew come across this, like, ghost ship, basically, with a, a skeleton, who is death, and this really pale woman. Um, and they're playing they're playing dice, I think, for the, for the fate of his crew. And death wins, and all the crew die, except for the mariner. Um... And the Mariner then just kind of sails around with a ghost crew who eventually rise and become, like, helpful ghosts and help him get home. Um, but this is the first <laughs> kind of instance of, of ghostly sailors, I guess. 
Um, yeah, okay, that's interesting. Yeah, so the the before this though, of course, there was kind of the mythology of of a ghost ship, right? Like very famously, ghost ships, ships that don't have a crew, often like but, uh, like like the Flying Dutchman, like Davy Jones yeah, type stuff. The, the Flying yeah. Dutchman is one of the most famous uh, examples, first recorded in 1790. That was um, the Flying Dutchman, though, is not. Like, it doesn't have a crew. It's crewless, and it sails around, and it can never... The thing with the Flying Dutchman is it can never make port. You know, it'll always get turned away, and it's doomed to sail forever with no crew, right? Um, but there's other examples of ghost ships. There's uh, the Chilean Caliuchi. Uh, there's going to be some bad pronunciation in this bit, just to just yeah. warn y'all. I mean, um, that, that looks... That looks a, I don't think I can come up with anything better. Yeah. Uh, there's, uh, there's uh, uh, I think, a Canadian one called the the Fireship of Baie de Chaleur, uh, French-Canadian, I guess, um, and the lovely, sorry, the Lady Loverbond. These are other example ghost ships. But, you know, like, ghost ships are not necessarily the same as ghost pirates. And, uh, and a lot mm. of these ships actually aren't pirate ships. They're just, like, regular ships. So they presumably have ghost sailors, not ghost pirates. But, you know, whatever. Um, yeah. So ghost ships and ghost, ghost pirates actually aren't as big as ghost ships, but they do have their own TV tropes page, which is fun. Um, and <laughs> and this TV tropes page mentions another mentions other variants like the zombie pirate and the skeleton pirate. Um, you know, Pirates of the Caribbean obviously quite famously has those skeleton yep. Yep. pirates. I guess they would be. Um, and there's also the the ghost Viking, which is one that I hadn't really heard of before, but it's interesting and it brings me to a, a another piece of mythology um from norse mythology and they're called the draugr um again weird but weird, weird pronunciation on that one yeah but... I th- that looks right i think <laughs> it sounds right for what i'm looking at yeah yeah so draugr are, are norse zombies basically um originally land-based where they would be like people that were buried with treasure and then would come back um but weirdly there seem to over time be this weird kind of cross-pollination between Draugr and and what we would think of as something like a zombie pirate or a ghost pirate um and and eventually it became so distinct that there became two types of Draugr the land Draugr and what became known as the sea Draugr which were drowned sailors that came back as revenants and would like prey on ships right um okay like in their ghost ships or just like were they walking around on the water or something no, no so they would be in ships and they would take on they would take on like human bodies as disguises. The the word Draugr is something like a cross between um, lying and body, something like that. Uh, so it's it's oh, like so they like possess people and stuff. Well, they're not possessions as much as they are like pretend people. So even okay. even for sea Draugr, they would sometimes like have heads made of seaweed to replace the heads that they had lost, stuff like that, oh, where they okay. kind of put together okay. bodies that at first glance seem like humans in halloween costumes or whatever but uh, <laughs> are actually zombies um so okay. they were they were written about for a long long time uh from th- there's a first recorded reference to them is in the urbiga jaya which is hard to pronounce but <laughs> it's a like an icelandic saga from the 13th century i'm going to read out this section um where one Thorod scat catcher and his men drown in mysterious circumstances, their ship and its catcher fish found, but none of its crew. Yet at their burial feast, the drowned crew appear, dripping with water, and take up their seats. First they are welcomed, but when they continue to appear in the subsequent evenings, now are joined by another group of undead, they cause the mortal men to flee in horror, and subsequently cause the outbreak of an unnamed sickness. So that's pretty standard with what you would would expect there. Drowned sailors that come back to 
basically haunt the living sailors, I suppose. <laughs> um, cool. Yeah, so so there's kind of a few different ideas about where the origins for ghost pirates come from. Maybe it's something that was a, a North a Norse mythology that kind of bled over into more uh, Anglo mythology, or uh, something to do with a ghost ship, and then someone just thinks, oh, maybe there's ghost sailors on a ghost ship. I mean, it's a straightforward thought. Uh, yeah, I think uh, you know ghosts are pretty universal. So anytime you had a sort of society with groups of people that were heavily based, like you know, on the seas, yeah, it makes sense that it would transition to ghost you know yeah exactly ghost sailors. versions of of this thing obviously kind of obsession yeah. with life and death is one of the core things that defines yeah. mythology so it makes sense um obviously it doesn't have much impact for pact but just fun to learn now elliot you also did some some research into ghost pirates <laughs> uh, what did you come up with well i just wanted to quickly mention that ratchet and clank has robot ghost pirates proving mm. once and for all that robots have souls uh <laughs> and and thus everything that you said about that is wrong but if robots have souls, they wouldn't become pirates because pirates are mean and mean people don't have souls. So it kind of well, can. Well, do humans not have souls? Yeah, not not the pirate ones. Oh, okay. Fair. Everyone knows that. Haven't you seen Pirates of the Caribbean? <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, anyway, that's a little bit of, of factoids <laughs> about undead pirates or ghost pirates. Um, hopefully informative. Uh, and that leads us to the end of our discussion on Malfeasance 11.2. Um, thanks for joining yes. us uh yeah this was fun and uh you know if you want to continue the fun of talking about 11.2 you can head into the discussion thread linked below yes uh, where everyone will be doing that yes and also people may be interested to find alongside the link to discussion thread in our in our episode description you'll find a link to find out more information about the fan art contest on doofmedia.com mm-hmm uh, speaking of doofmedia.com, it's a great website for finding out about all the other shows on Doof Media. Yep. It's got also got all kinds of news and reviews and uh, and things you can use. <laughs> What's that tagline from? It's stuck I, in my uh, head and I don't know what it is. I have no idea where you've stolen that from. Yeah. All right. Anyway, if anyone knows, let us know in the comments <laughs> or tweet at us at MediaMD Podcast. You can let us know what I stole that from or just tweet at us about Pact. That's okay too. Uh, yeah. And if you like this show, if you like the rest of the Doof Network... Head to patreon.com slash doofmedia. Uh, you get a bunch of great perks, including voting in that fan art contest like yes. we've been mentioning. There's also bonus content on there. We released a piece of packed bonus content, uh, a little 30-minute long episode about a, an additional packed Wildbow story that was written. Um, if you want to check that out, the only way to get access to that is to become a Patreon at patreon.com slash doofmedia. Yes, because, of course, Wildbow wrote that for... Uh, do the right thing which is mm. another doof podcast and yes. uh you know doing the right thing is a lot of fun so yes i'd encourage you to give it a try try and get involved it's it's a lot of fun speaking of doing the right thing you should do the right thing and donate money to wildbow on patreon that's at patreon.com slash wildbow because without him we wouldn't have packed all the bonus content that we did a bonus episode about so <laughs> it's all kinds of things probably should up our donation yep uh, so apart from that, we'll see everyone on uh, Wednesday, September the 11th, for mm -hmm. Malfeasance 11.3. See you then. <laughs> <laughs>